I use that sniper analogy of a bullet ricocheting. I mean, that's my life. I've just been on this ricochet off that side and bearing to the left and to the right. The target <laughs> is long gone, but I'm always going forward. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna share his story of relaunching his career from being an army sniper to a TV cameraman to a children's magician. We'll talk through the importance of letting go so you can fully immerse yourself in the next chapter of your career. And afterwards, I'll wrap up with a few thoughts on putting yourself out there, even if you don't feel ready. On today's show, I'm excited to feature Julian Mather, who definitely wasn't at school the day they taught conventional career planning. A self-described chronic truant, he educated himself to find the secrets to turning his obsessions into a profession. From army sniper to globetrotting TV cameraman to kids entertainer to online entrepreneur, Julian shares resources to inspire and educate midlifers as a way of halting the 45 to 65-year-old mental health decline and rising suicide rates amongst men. He now runs the world's number one training academy for professional children's entertainers while reinventing himself as a speaker and expert on midlife career change. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing his very unique career story. He spoke with me from Brisbane, Australia. Well, welcome, Julian, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us here on Career Relaunch. You are most welcome, Joseph. Can you just get us started here by just telling us a little bit more about what you're focused on right now in your career and your life? You've got a very interesting story and there's a lot of pieces to get to, but let's start with what you're doing right now and then we'll kind of go back in time and work forward from there. Uh, right now, I'm passionate about working with 40 to 60 year olds, I'm 55, about getting them digitally literate. Uh, there's wonderful opportunities online, but it's been my experience that a lot of people don't know that these are there. And there's also a problem. There's a problem that if you're white, if you're male, if you're 45 to 65 years old and you're a Westerner, you are most likely to suicide. And I think that's just crazy. I don't understand it. And I'm trying to, in my small way, be a part of the jigsaw that solves that problem. Very interesting. So I definitely want to come back and talk at the end about TaylorMade Career a little bit more, but I would love to just go back in time because you've got one of the most interesting career trajectories I've ever seen. And uh, we get some really interesting people on the show, but I have never had someone on the show who was an army sniper. Can you take us back in time a little bit and we'll start from there and then you've got some other interesting chapters, but I would love to just kick off by talking about your time over there in the Australian Army. I've really got to go back to where it all started and it all started at school because I did really well at school if you don't count learning. But I did so <laughs> poorly 
I had to repeat my final year at high school and then I ended up doing worse in my repeat year. So I became a chronic truant and I self-educated myself at the state library because I knew what I wanted to do, Joseph. I wanted to be a photojournalist. So I studied by myself months and months and months of pouring over these photo books and I realized to be a photojournalist, I needed to have a camera in my hand at all times and I needed to be where the action was, which was not in my hometown of Brisbane. So I saw an army recruiting post and I went in and asked, could I be a photographer in the army? And they said, certainly, sir, sign here. But to my naive surprise, that's when the yelling started and it didn't stop. And they put me in the infantry. I'd been duped. So when I was in the army, I looked for somewhere where I could get some peace and quiet and get away from all this yelling. And I found a place. I became a sniper. And my job description read verbatim, you must have a personality which allows you to kill calmly and deliberately. And honestly, my heart wasn't really in it. Because that part of me that's designed to kill people, it's not very big. So there I was, lying in wait, looking through my crosshairs, but I was still dreaming of being a photojournalist, which is simply telling a story with pictures. And I realized that looking through my telescopic sights, like I was looking through a camera. So I started the process of making imaginary movies. And essentially, I self-educated myself in filmmaking. So I went from being trained to shoot people with a rifle to shooting people with a camera, which is much more socially acceptable, I might add. Now, hang on just a second. I guess stop you there because I, I would love to just hear a little bit more about you being in the army and the fact that that you became a sniper, even though that wasn't what you had in mind. How did you reconcile that? How I reconciled that was that uh, I'm male and I have this brain which is compartmentalized and I just open a box and all the information and the knowledge goes in that box and I work with that box and then if I move on to the next thing, I close that box and open another box. I've just got a very, very project-driven mind. Were there any aspects of being a sniper that did sit well with who you were? Oh, gosh, yeah. I could indulge in my antisocial behaviors of because, you know, essentially, Joseph, I'm an introvert. Um, mm. You know, you, you're going to hear part of my story later how I've trained myself out of that. But I'm a cave dweller. This is what I love doing. I love getting by myself with my own thoughts and essentially not talking to people. So that part really, really suited me. You're right. There are all sorts of roles you could have in the army, but yeah, it's a very introverted role. I never thought of it like that, but you're spending a lot of time by yourself, I would suppose. You work by yourself. You also work in teams of two, which I've got to tell you, it was really, really hard because when you work with someone in a team of two, you, you go, you're tasked and you might be tasked for 48 hours and you are literally side touching this person for 48 hours. You're in a hide side by side. It's a very unusual situation to be in. So what happened next for you? So you're an army sniper. You're spending a lot of time by yourself or with your partner there. When did the gears start to turn for you and how did they start to turn that maybe you should go off and do something else? I still wanted to be a photojournalist and I started this process of training myself in filmmaking. So, I mean, I just got, you know, it was pre-internet and I used to go and get whatever books I could out of the library and start training because this is the first step of what I always do and I've had many career changes is I immerse myself. And so whatever the next project I'm going to move or next phase I'm moving into, 
I literally just get in and I read and I listen. I get every bit of information. And then when I went into cinematography, because what I did was I left the army and I joined ABC TV in Australia. Uh, I ended up doing this for 25 years where they put money in one hand, plane ticket in the other, kicked me out the door and said, go tell people stories. So in a sense, I had made it what I wanted to do was, you know, be a photojournalist. It was not with still cameras how I originally set out to be. It had evolved and it had gone into motion picture. Now, one of the things that we talk about on this show is how people make these shifts. And I have to say that going from sniper to TV cameraman to me seems like quite a shift. Although I know you're still looking into some sort of a, a viewfinder or a scope of some sort. Yeah. Can you just explain what was that transition like for you? It's interesting because being a cameraman is both problem solving and creativity at the same time, which are two strengths that, that, that I really, really have. So even though I didn't have the creative side in the army, I certainly had that problem solving. So there was that transition across that was quite a natural flow. But really, I mean, the transition from being a sniper to camera work was not as big a transition as <laughs> my careers I did further on. Now, speaking of which, you did have another transition after that. And I'm really interested to talk about this because I know you, you eventually ended up becoming a children's magician. But before that, when we talked for the first time, you described to me the emotions that were involved with leaving your cameraman world behind to go do something else. Can you walk us through that transition? You know, after 25 years, I'd met so many VIPs and that's very inspiring people. And they were out there making a difference. And, you know, that just infuses me and that's what I wanted to do too. And even though I was doing little projects here and there, nothing was gaining traction. And I started to think it was just me, that I wasn't good enough to do the things that all these other people seemed to be able to do. And then one day I had the simplest of realizations. I realized that all these people who were making a difference, they were in front of the camera and that's where I needed to be. But I was behind the camera. And the only way for me to be in front of the camera was to leave behind the camera. I couldn't be in two places at once. So I left and I cried. I mourned my career. I was leaving 25 years of everything I had worked so hard for. I mean, it was really the very fabric of who I was. But you know what? That morning, that was the best thing because it's incredibly important to let go because it's only when you let go, that you can start a fresh job, a fresh life, just get out there and give it your all. People talk about this process of mourning when it comes to loss of a loved one, or I don't know, when you're, when you're breaking up with somebody, you got a relationship you're walking away from. But I don't know if people always think about that when it comes to careers. And yet your career is such an, a big part of your life. And of course, there's going to be emotion that's involved when you let it go. How did you get through that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the difference between a career and a job as well. Because if it was just a job, I don't think I would have mourned it. But really, photography was just a part of my being. And it started back prior to that because my father was an amateur photographer and he got me into it as well. So really, up until that stage, it was my whole life that I was giving away. And how did you know that it was time to move on from that? When my learning 
plateaus. Joseph, I mean, I really get to the stage where I just think, yeah, I'm starting to do this day after day and I'm not learning anymore. And even though it was a great job, I mean, it was seriously a good job. The pull for me to be challenged, I mean, I'm a risk taker, but I'm a slow motion risk taker. My transitions from career to career normally take me about five years. It is risky leaving your job and doing something completely new, but I'd sort of put steps in in place to counter that, but those steps don't always work. What were some of those steps just to kind of understand how you were mitigating that risk? One thing I do when I'm changing careers, I've got this thing called the 1852 rule. And that is essentially that change is this whole thing of small steps. For me to change careers, it takes me five years. I mean, that's my rough rule of thumb. So there's 365 days a year and I only need to make one small change a day to do that. So that's 365 by five years. It's 1852. So for me to change careers, I know that it's going to take me 1,852 small changes. I've got this thing called the perpetual motion formula, and it's really simple, but it works really, really well. There's only two steps to keep going forward, to take these steps. Step one, roll up your sleeves and take the next step. And if you're confused, go to step two. And step two says your one and only job is to find out who can teach you what the next step is. And then you refer back to step one. If I don't know anything, I just know my job that day is to find out who can tell me what I need to know. And I never stall. Yeah, I guess when you break it down like that, it becomes a lot less daunting because I know that change can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming. People wait for motivation to start. You know, I need the motivation to get up and start my plan and change my career. Motivation is never, ever the start of the process. It's the two Ds, desire and discipline. Now, if you're lucky, you'll have desire. You'll wake up one morning and just have this burning desire, overwhelming passion. You want to do something and nothing is going to stop you. I rarely ever get that. I have to go to the second D, which is discipline. Setting a plan and taking those steps and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. And once you do that, then the motivation comes. Because once you start taking a few of these steps, you start to see results, even small results. If you have a plan, it's there every day, the next day and the next. A plan never runs out. Interesting. Wow. So it's almost like you're kind of flipping things on their head because people normally wait to feel motivated, then they take action. You're saying take action, which creates the results, which then generates the motivation. So it's it's yeah, much yeah. more in your control. Yeah. Okay. So you, you've taken this motivation, this desire, this discipline after you've departed from your cameraman world. What happens next for you? I had three other passions apart from photojournalism. There was my family, magic, and juggling. And I had another one as well as actually for, <laughs> I had teaching philanthropy to children. Now, it's a long story how I got to that point, but I just had this idea that I could teach philanthropy to children. And in my mind, this was how I was going to make this difference. So I planned on going into primary schools, working with 10-year-old kids, teaching in simple terms that philanthropy is smarter than charity. I left the ABC and I launched this new program to deafening silence and schools would not book me. And I said to them, hey, hang on a minute, I ran this past you. You said you liked the program. They said, we do like it, but we didn't say we needed it. What we need is maths and science and literacy. Have you got any of those? 
And I learned my first marketing lesson, never open a restaurant unless you've got a starving crowd. So there I was, and my whole TV career was sailing off into the sunset, and I had what was essentially a magic and juggling show with no audience. And through necessity, I had to reinvent myself again as a children's and family entertainer. What was that moment like for you when, you know, you worked so hard on relaunching your career, I guess, attempt number one, and it just lands with chirping crickets. I've had that happen to me before, and I, I can tell you that it's not the most pleasant feeling. Can you just describe what that day was like for you when you found out that, gosh, maybe people don't want the thing that I'm selling? It was embarrassing and it was humiliating. And <laughs> I had nowhere to go with this. I had my family, uh, you know, wife, and I had two younger children, and my wife was working, so we had some money coming in. I used that sniper analogy of a bullet ricocheting. I mean, that's my life. The bullet came out of the rifle and was supposed to be heading towards the target, but it hit something on the way, and it's just, I've just been on this ricochet off that side and bang off that way. And then, you know, another bearing to the left and to the right. The target <laughs> is long gone. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm always going forward. When I don't know what to do, my first job is to find out the people who can tell me what I need to know. And so I knew how to do the magic and juggling show. I had that, but I needed to learn about basic business. But I can't believe how naive I was about the world of business. I knew nothing about it, but I had to learn. So you, you learn that and then you start to reinvent yourself in another way. Can you just describe what that reinvention was? So that reinvention was as a local children's and family entertainer, doing family shows, school shows, birthday parties, and I did that for seven years. And the more and more I got deeper into the world of magic, the more and more I realized that there were these long-held beliefs in the world of magic that I didn't subscribe to about the way you structured shows. So I started this thing that was called Julian's Magician School, and it started to get traction. And now it's got about 140,000 subscribers. It's got over 30 million views. But I started to make a difference where I never expected it. And the thing was about a third of my audience was actually adults. And they were right into this confidence building aspects of being able to take simple tricks and stand up in front of people and just tell a joke and, you know, be the life of the party. And I started to get emails and this need I had inside of me to want to make a difference was happening where I, I least expected it. I was just thinking as you were talking about that, I was thinking back to the, uh, have you heard of Patch Adams? The clown, oh, yeah, yeah. The clown yeah, that goes in, so. that who went into hospitals. And uh, actually, I met Patch Adams many years ago when I was in my high school years. And uh, I just think that what you're describing, using magic as an enabler, as a vehicle to have an impact on these audiences, to me, is just really inspiring. And it's not an aspect of magic that I always think about. People have to understand that there are no gatekeepers online. You know, if you've worked in the in a corporate job all your life, you know, you know, if you need to have something done or you've got an idea, you've got to take it to someone. You've got to ask permission. When you start working online, these gatekeepers go. It's really is democratized out there. Absolutely. The speed yeah. of implementation, if you have an idea, if you have a point of view, if you have a business idea that you want to run and test, my goodness, you can get the thing up in a couple of hours if you want, and you don't have to ask anyone. This whole process of putting out your personal brand is very much democratized, whether you're using Facebook or 
YouTube or Instagram, whatever. And yet a lot of people hesitate to do that. How did you work through that? Was that an issue for you at all? It was a huge issue. I mean, I came from a background of very low confidence, of very low self-esteem. I don't mind talking about that. Starting to be confident in my own opinions and putting them out there, doing it in the world online where you get trolls and haters, it all kicks you. You know you know what you, you learn after a while? You don't bleed. People would criticize me online with a particular view, but I'd go up and my family would say hello to me and my wife would hug me and my dog would wag its tail. Life goes on. I think we put too much weight you know, upon what other people think, and it's just what they think. When we spoke before, you had described to me your five steps to making a career change. You've alluded to three of them already. Immerse yourself, the 1852 rule, never wait to be motivated. What I would be really interested to hear about now, because I think it relates to the topic of what we're talking about, is this idea of pushing send. Can you explain to me how you push send? Yeah. So this idea of just, you know, it's like push the send button. Have you ever driven off in your car and you think something's wrong? Um, you know, it doesn't seem to be driving right. Then you realize you got your parking brakes still on. Yes, that has okay. definitely happened to me. Yes. <laughs> that is what not asking questions is like through life. Once you start to ask questions, all of a sudden you're freed up and it's not like going through life with the parking brake on. And because you go back into this beginner's mindset, it's a blessed thing. When you ask a question, when you push send, quite often you're going to get no as the answer back, but no does not mean no. I always thought it did. I was very sensitive. If someone said no, well, they meant no. No, they don't mean no. If I contacted you, Joseph, to be on your podcast and you had said no to me, I would have thought, well, okay, that could be for any one of a thousand reasons. It doesn't mean Joseph doesn't like me. He doesn't think what I'm doing isn't worthy. It could have been the business was in a thing. It could have been your podcast sequence was full up for the year. Right. There's a whole heap of reasons. No does not mean no. I think the one I struggle with the most, Julian, is when there's no response at all. You know, you reach out to somebody, or you pitch yourself and you just hear nothing. Yeah. Do you have a tactic or a strategy of, of dealing with whatever you want to call it, rejection or lack of responsiveness from people? I just don't take it personally anymore. I used to. I used to take it so personally. I just don't take it personally now. I'll actually make a spreadsheet up and I'll go, there's my series of dates uh, that I'm putting in there. I'll send out an email. And if I don't hear anything back, I'll do a follow-up email in a week. If I don't hear anything back, I'll do another follow-up email in a week. And then I'll do one in three months. And then I'll do one in six months. And I'll do one in 12 months. And probably if after a year I haven't heard, <laughs> maybe I'll give it up then. But I don't take it personally. So finally, Julian, before we talk about your current projects, I've just been listening to your story here, and I've just been really fascinated about how you've been able to navigate so many career changes in a way that has left you stronger, wiser. Do you have any advice that you'd like to share with people who are considering to make a career change? One thing I do tell younger people these days is to go out and lead an authentic life. And what I mean is, you know, online you get people who go, I'm going to travel every country in the world in six months and, yeah. you know, they make a, a blog about it. It's not all authentic. That's just going to wear out. You're better off just, you know, something you are passionate about, just going out and, and start living your life because that's where the stories are going to come from. You know, and it, if creating a personal brand is what you're about, it just takes time. 
it does take time. You're absolutely right. It's, it's not something you can really accelerate or speed up or shortcut. Mm. I'd love to wrap up by just talking a little bit more about TaylorMade Career, which I know is all about showing 40 to 60-year-olds how to discover hidden knowledge assets and turn them into income. Can you just take us through a little bit more detail what TaylorMade Career is about? So what I'm doing is I have a site, it's called TaylorMade Career, and I'm offering a training for 40 to 60 year olds. And about the first step of that training is getting them to realize that they have knowledge in their head that people are willing to pay for. It's a brave new world out there on online. They just don't understand that yet. So, uh, you know, if you go to Taylor Makery, the first thing you do is you'll get a guide which will help you release and unlock that knowledge in your head and show you you've actually got something to say and people are willing to pay for it. So TaylorMade Career is offering different tools and one of those that people can get is a free 12-part course on how to create your own podcast if you want to do that. And it's really easy and it's actually quite cheap. So Julian, where can people go if they want to learn more about TaylorMade Career? Go to taylormadecareer.com. And if you want to find out other projects I'm working on, you can go to julianmather.com. Fantastic, Julian. Well, we will definitely include all those links in the show notes, including your YouTube channel, which is very fun to browse through. So thank you so much for taking us through your fascinating career, walking us through the importance of motivation being within your control, discipline, breaking things down into manageable steps, and also just giving us a glimpse into some really unique and interesting industries. So thank you so much for your time today. Okay. Thanks, Joseph. Bye now. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Julian's thoughts on how to embrace the twists and turns in your career, the power of immersing yourself in your interests, and the importance of letting go. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'll be sharing my own thoughts on the importance of putting yourself out there. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge for you to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to pick up on one of the topics Julian touched on about putting yourself out there and just going for it when it comes to an idea you've been thinking about pursuing in your career. So just to tell a little story here, back in 2013, just a couple months after I started my own business, I was approached by one of the organizers of TEDx in Cardiff, Wales. They had seen me speak at another conference and they wanted to see if I wanted to pitch to be a speaker for their upcoming TEDx conference in 2014. Now, if you're not familiar with TED, it stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design, although the topics have broadened out quite a bit to cover a wide variety of cultural, scientific, and academic topics. TED hosts conferences annually, and speakers are given 18 minutes to present their ideas to an audience. Then those videos of the talks are shared online. Now, the TEDx conferences are independent TED-like events, and they're held in over 130 countries around the world. So the prospect of doing a TEDx talk was a pretty big deal for me, especially because some TEDx talks get viewed thousands and sometimes millions of times. I had always dreamed of one day having the chance to give a TED Talk sometime in my life. I loved the idea of being able to share a message with the world, but I never expected the opportunity would come up at this particular point in my career. So when I first heard about this opportunity, my initial reaction was that I might not be ready to give this kind of a big talk so early on in my solopreneur journey. I had literally just started my business. My business didn't even have a name yet. And the idea of giving a TEDx talk just kind of felt premature. 
I thought about giving a talk about career change, but I almost felt like I hadn't really had enough experience working professionally in this space to deliver this sort of an open-ended talk. Also, the conference was only four months away, so I wasn't sure if I'd have enough time to prepare. So this was a classic chicken or egg dilemma. On the one hand, I felt like I wanted to have more practice giving talks before giving my TEDx talk. But on the other, giving this talk could open up other doors for me to give more talks like this in the future. So I pretty quickly decided that I would go for it. And it really came down to me feeling like I would one day regret not doing it. So I decided to pitch a talk and I ended up getting accepted as a speaker. My talk was called Reshaping the Story of Your Career. And it really laid the foundation for me turning public speaking into a big part of the work I now do for clients. And a lot of great things have come my way after giving this talk. Now, I'm sharing this story because I feel like there are always reasons to not pursue a new career idea. It's very easy to convince yourself that the timing isn't right, or you don't feel completely ready, or you want to wait until you've completed some prerequisite you've come up with in your head before you actually go for it. And I will admit that I'm very good at coming up with practical reasons why I shouldn't do something. In fact, most of the people I talk to and most of the clients I work with have thought about doing something new in their careers, but very quickly come up with reasons to put it off. How often do you do that? Maybe you've been thinking about creating your own website for months, but you're not quite sure if you're ready to share your work with the public. Maybe you've been thinking about writing a post on LinkedIn or Medium, sharing your point of view on something you're passionate about. Or maybe you've been thinking about reaching out to someone at a dream company you've been wanting to work for, but you just don't feel like you have all the necessary experiences to be taken seriously quite yet. There are always going to be reasons to not do something. At the same time, it's incredible what sort of opportunities can come up for you if you put yourself out there and just try. What I've found is that the best things have happened to me when I've put myself out there and stepped forward to do something that felt a little scary or a bit audacious. Because that intersection between comfort and risk is where some of the most unique, exciting new opportunities can open up for you. This reminds me of a quote from the famous hockey player, Wayne Gretzky. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So my challenge to you is to take a brave step and go for it. If you've been thinking about pursuing some idea that could take your career in a new direction, What's one specific action you could take today to move you closer to making that idea a reality? Now, most experts say that sharing your desired actions and goals with others makes you much more likely to achieve those goals. So I'd love for you to share the step you're going to take to put yourself out there. You can leave a comment at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 13, where you can also find a summary of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, you can also check out my free career hub where you can find some worksheets and tools to help you stay on track with your goals. And I've also got a link there to Julian's Magician School on YouTube where you can see him in action and learn a few magic tricks. That's careerrelaunch.net slash episode 13. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Julian Mather for joining us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.